Hi, this is Brad Redderson, and welcome to Stranova, a bi-weekly audio business program exploring the intersection of cutting-edge business strategy and the innovations that can ignite business growth. As an entrepreneur with over 30 years experience leading high-tech organizations, I've constantly sought out new ideas that could take business to an entirely new level of performance. For Stranova, I've invited some of the most innovative business leaders out there and asked them to share their ideas with you. So sit back, listen, and consider what some of these new thoughts might mean to your business as we begin this week's episode of Stranova. Edgar Allan Poe once wrote a short story called The Purloined Letter. In it, a very important envelope with an even more important letter inside had been hidden from our protagonists and, after much searching, was found in what at first seemed the least likely place, in the desk, exactly where you would expect to find letters. Except, strangely, no one happened to look there for that very special one that had been lost. In this episode of Sternova, we're going to explore a similar discovery, not in literature, but in the field of strategic innovation, in which a new business has been born out of something we all do, to some extent anyway, and yet for some reason, no one, to my knowledge, has addressed it as a serious business. What's the opportunity I'm talking about? Play, and especially play at work, both as a joyful release in what can sometimes be challenging days for all of us, as well as a means to energize that inner child in each of us that is responsible for much of the creativity that ultimately drives the innovative growth of so many companies. To discuss this with us, we have the wonderful opportunity to be in conversation with Jenny Ward, the founder and CEO of Playward, a company dedicated to releasing that inner child, especially for those of us 35 and up. Her firm has worked with clients as diverse as the YMCA corporate organization, Wells Fargo, the New York City Chamber of Commerce, and Merrill Lynch. In keeping with the spirit of the business, we held our interview in a small outdoor courtyard with bubbling fountains and the laughter of children and adults playing nearby. Well, Jenny, welcome to Stranova. Oh, it's great to be here. You know, it's my first question here. You know, it's interesting that many of us claim work should be fun, and there's even that phrase that at least I've used a lot about playing in the corporate sandbox. And yet fun, especially in these days of severe downsizing, extended working hours, and increased stress in the workplace seems to be less and less a part of the U.S. working experience. Do, do you agree with that? And if so, why do you think that is? Why has that happened? I do agree that fun is becoming less and less a part um, of the work experience, but also life experience. Uh, I remember when I was 15, I always say this story when I talk to corporate. My dad told me that I had about eight more years and then I had to grow up and get a job, and then it wasn't fun. I think we're taught at a very early age that life isn't meant to be fun, that work isn't meant to be enjoyable. So I believe it starts at the core of our belief systems about work. Do we have a passion for it? Do we want to love it? Is there a way that we can go to work every day and create a situation that brings us joy? And how do our bosses and how do the leaders of our companies respond to that? It's, I think it's a whole reprogramming and recreating of the whole workforce in general. And starting with the fact is, what are your beliefs around work? Most people I ask say they don't think it's meant to be fun. And fun is a very interesting word, because I'm not talking about going to work every day and laughing and doing cartwheels and joking around. And I think fun is a responsibility. 
I think it's our responsibility to ourselves to enjoy. And when we're not, to really look into that and see why. And that's, I believe, is what's lacking in our culture. We're taught to do more, be more, strive more, but we're not taught to enjoy it. Well, it's like some of those program things in us when we were very young. You know, they talk about what did your parents tell you that has stuck with you as guiding principles. And one of them that typically comes up in my own life, at least, is you can always do more, you can always do better, you yes. can always strive for more. Yes. And that has built-in stress for it. And yes. We, we even had the era of quality is free, where zero defects yes. is what you had to achieve. And I always went nuts when that came up, because yeah. if you have zero defects, you can never be happy. Right. How does your own company, Playward, deal with that then? You know, when you go in and talk to them, the next step is, okay, fine, you're right, why should I bring you in here? When I go in initially, it, it is about playing. And we do games and exercises and a lot of theater work. And one thing that's working really well is bringing health awareness into the component of play. So I've created play yoga and getting them involved in stress relief, like letting go of stress and understanding breathing and how to deal with the stress, starting there first and then going a step deeper and saying, how can we change the infrastructure of why isn't this a part of your day-to-day? -day? How can we bring this in? How is it making you feel? And then sort of as a training, per se, and maybe doing it one month at a time or two months at a time and slowly integrating, because this is big stuff that <laughs> I'm talking about. Working and enjoying it, I think, is foreign language to most people, and it's frivolous where I think it's a key component to life and to health. Which is frivolous, the, the issue of Enjoying work, you know, adding health, I mean, adding play yoga one hour a day is not viewed as important, where I think it should be as equally as important as being a successful business person or making the quota that month or how much you make during a year. How well, do you feel about it? It's interesting, you know, you say that too, because one thing I was reading recently and. I guess it was a National Geographic back in November, they had a large article about longevity mm. and what are some of the secrets of longevity. Correct. One of them was a bit of a surprise, but it fits with what you're talking about, which is that the people that live the longest or the communities that live the longest, not only do they have less stress in their lives, which certainly you would expect, but they don't tend to be the fanatic athletic workout fiends mm. that we might expect. They instead have a leisurely sets of walks, strolls, and all that built into their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And they don't throw themselves into the half an hour, got to kill myself, but mm -hmm. I'm going to burn my carbs, mm -hmm. you know, today <laughs> kind of thing. So, you know, it fits very, very well with, with that whole their idea mm -hmm. that, that it is not about throwing yourself into anything, right. which is, you know, either this exercise to relieve my stress, mm -hmm. I'm going to make sure that I, you know, drop and do 20 or something like right. that. That's well, how does a company decide to get involved working with you uh, in, in the first place? Because for exactly the reasons you talked about, this would be one of those things that maybe even especially in a recession economy, people would say, well, we can do that when we have some money or some right. time, but we don't have time for that sort right. of stuff now. Right. This is hard work. Right. It's, it's a really interesting topic because I hear that all the time. And my question to that in response is, your beliefs are creating that. Whatever we believe about work, it's not working anymore. The struggling, the pushing, the doing more, the doing the, it's not working, it hasn't been working. And, and the more we do that, the more recession there is. There's an answer to the equation that keeps coming up. up. It's a, re a repetitive cycle. 
And I think it's time to recreate that. So how can we recreate that? Okay, you don't have money. Why don't you think you have money for this? And to take a risk and providing the value will increase productivity, will increase people's health, they'll take less sick days, they might come to work, and you might notice that next year you're not in recession and you have more money than you ever imagined. In fact, you're expanding and people want to work for you, but unless you take that risk, I find it's a repeated cycle that is that excuse is boring, if I could be nice about it, and it's, it's time, it's overdue. Well, it still begs the issue of how someone decides to find you. I mean, this is something where... I you find know, them primarily. You do find them. <laughs> in very interesting ways. I, I market myself. I try and be in that circle of marketing just being who I am, but I do talk it as health awareness initially because our culture is starting to become very into that, especially in California, New York City. They're starting to understand that people can't live for their work and it's not working and stress levels are higher and people are leaving and going on and creating their own businesses and that they love. and. So I, I, it's slow, but I try and target the people that are beginning to be open to the idea of work-life balance. And play is very, a great component of creating that. So you actually, not the equivalent of a cold call, but you call somebody that maybe you found from somewhere, yes. but, but you approach them as I opposed usually to the approach order. them. Or, you know, it's, now it's been, I'm, I'm getting more from word of mouth. But initially it was me approaching them talking about play, which is always a funny conversation to have. <laughs> well, it, 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 it is a funny conversation to have. And the other side of it is that when you generally ask people what do they look for in a job, mm -hmm. they will list having fun mm -hmm. as something that's high on the list. Yeah, you have to get paid. Yes. And that's kind of the minimum requirement. When, yes. But when people leave a company, it is rarely because of the pay issue. Right. It is, at least in the United States at least. It's how much fun they're having. How much fun they're having. They're Are they being out. creative, which is usually a code word for fun. Absolutely. And doing something different or making a difference or right. certainly that part of it. Well, you've answered this to, to some extent, but could you elaborate a, a little bit on what you see as maybe some of the strategic advantages of, of play? in a workspace. Well, just like what you, creativity and unleashing imagination. I mean, play has this childlike wonder to it where they're, they're doing it and they're not even realizing what's happening to them. And we're in these mists of games or exercises or interactive workshops where they leave feeling different, yet they don't know how they got there, they don't know what just happened. But what happened was they got out of their heads and they started just exploring without judging right or wrong. They took risks, they talked to people differently than they probably would have. They learned something new about their colleagues, their coworkers. That's a huge advantage. You want more creative people around you. You want leaders to encourage you to be more creative. You want different ideas and perspectives. I mean, that's what the life is all about. But for some reason, we take this box and we say, well, you're this, and you have to step into it. Just like when you go to school, you know, they have the same curriculum for 4,000 kids, and everyone's supposed to learn the same thing the same way. It's not life. Play allows people to step outside that box and even notice the differences between each other, which is also an advantage. But also sounds like it is related to something that has been a theme I've heard from several of the people I've interviewed during this adventure with Stranova, which has to do with increased authenticity. Mm. There are many different ways to go about it, True. but authenticity and wholeness in their perspective and people that isolate their play or fun parts of who they are 
separately often are kind of missing something. One thing maybe related to that that I wanted to ask about before we get into some of the other questions here is one aspect to us as, at least in the United States, it, I think it's true worldwide that we tend to grow up to the point. I mean, there's a reason why the Peter Pan yeah. musical had that song about I'll never grow up. There's one study that I saw that, for example, that said that when you're younger, and especially, say, up until about age six to eight, if you ask a group of children, who in you is a great artist? Mm. Almost all of them will raise their hands, <laughs> and they'll be happy to show their work. Yes. By the time they get to 15, Changes. maybe 10%. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and by the time they get to 25, they are shy and embarrassed, even if they're good. Right. And something's happened to them. Mm -hmm. Even the idea of playing. I, for example, played on a grand piano, mm -hmm. and they foolishly tried to give me lessons. It never went anywhere. Right. But I played because it was play. It right. was fun. It was experimentation. Right. And I can't tell you what I was getting from it, mm -hmm. but I enjoyed that. And all that's gone right. somehow or to a significant extent. Why do you think that happens? Mm. I, mean, I mean, this is part of your retraining, Absolutely. if you like, I think, within a company. Well, this is going to sound really dramatic, but uh, I'm just going to say I think there's a huge epidemic in our culture of doingness and not beingness. I read all these articles on teenagers. 14 to 15 that have more scheduling, more agendas, more pressure than 45-year-olds, and they think this is normal. I think it's a repeated pattern from culture to culture, from generation to generation, saying that in order to live life, you have to be always doing something, and it has to be productive, and it has to get you somewhere, and it has to have a goal, and then you're a human being, as opposed to exploring what you like, not telling your child that they have to take soccer, they have to get an A on their SAT math test exam. I think it's an epidemic starting from the basic fundamentals of childhood that goes through. If I were going to say what Play Ward is all about, it's truly to start a play revolution from day one, from scratch, and bring back that joy of simply being alive, which sounds very cliche, but it's lacking. It's, it's very much lacking, and people forget, and they fit it into their schedule to go see a movie on Saturday night and look forward to the weekends when they can at least do something, but then they're so tired <laughs> that they can't even enjoy, or play and enjoyment is fit into their to-do list, and I find that sad, but it also inspires me to speak yeah. out a little bit more. Reminds me of a children's book, which... I think makes fun of what you're talking about, or makes a, a good satirical point of what you're talking about. Uh, the, the book is called The Phantom Tollbooth, which okay. you may know by Norton Juster. And in it, there is a land that our hero, Milo, visits called the Doldrums. <laughs> and the Doldrums, everybody moves slowly and sluggishly, and they uh -huh. can't seem to get anywhere. And in fact, they fall asleep by midway through the conversation in the book. But Milo challenges them on how do you get anything done? I mean, you people don't look very productive. Mm. And said, oh, no, we're, we're very productive people. And I said, well, how can you say that? I said, well, from 7 to 8, we get up. <laughs> and then from 8 to 9, we think about what we're going to do for the day. And from 9 to 11, we dawdle and delay. Right. And then by the time the day is out, just before they go to bed, they put off for tomorrow what they could have done today. <laughs> and so it's a very structured day, but you've actually done nothing. Right. And it's, it's that same attitude of, of it, it appears, the yes. illusion of doing something. Right. It's almost like the executive that has meetings all day long and feels they did something. Right. I'm interested in another side of things in that when you talk about the corporate world, learning to play yourself is part of what you're about. 
learning to play with a group is another one. But if you take that into the broader scheme mm -hmm. of that companies exist not as an island, mm -hmm. but as part of a business ecosystem, if you mm -hmm. like, they need to learn to play well with others. Is there any aspect of that that you actually have dealt with and trying to help them kind of see how they can uh, interact more effectively with their competitors, vendors, stakeholders, etc.? Absolutely. I think that's a huge component of play. I mean, when we were children, it didn't really matter what someone's nationality was, or religion, who they were dating, what size jeans they wore. The process of exploration was what mattered, and if we had fun together, and then if we fell and we were mad at each other, it was really quick. I think what's going on, starting from self, people don't like themselves or respect themselves, or they project it onto other people. And I find the lack of understanding of the self is what causes misunderstanding with other people. And that's once again a completely reprogramming of how do you feel about your life, how do you feel about yourself, what don't you like, what do you like, and why don't you like that about that other person, and what can you do to let that go and work with other people in ways that you might ne never have known existed, but your pride and your ego and doing it right. And all these rules, I'm a big rule breaker, and I'm really happy to own that because a lot of them aren't real. And a lot of them are taught, but no one really knows where they came from. So if I'm right and you're wrong, who said so? And it could be two rights, but no one's willing to understand that. And I think playing and creativity and having workshops talking about conflict management or how do you feel about yourself is really, really essential. And that is lacking as well in that infrastructure big time. Well, it definitely is. It's and, really lacking. And when people think of competitors in particular, it's often the idea, I need to win against to the beat. other. To beat, yeah, to beat them. Certainly part of your corporate responsibilities are to succeed in what you're doing. Correct. But there is a belief that it somehow needs to be a zero-sum balance sheet. Correct. And again, maybe a, an example of where a company that is pretty well recognized for its play mm -hmm. factor has done that, Southwest Airlines. Mm -hmm. Herb Kelleher used to talk about how when they would enter a new market, they would look at what the fares are, and suppose that the average fare at the time, this is a few years ago, was maybe $100. Right. And they would say, okay, well, we figured it out. We could probably break even if we offered fares of maybe $79. And what did they do? They entered the market at $39 each right. way. And people say, that is insane. How can you do that? You're nuts. And they go on to say that part of what they believe is that it isn't so much that they are going to take share. Yes, they will take some okay. share. But it is further that they will get more people to travel right. than might have traveled before, and the whole market will right. grow. Right. And it is looking at it from a new perspective. perspective yes. and, and it isn't just about, I win, you, you lose. lose. It could be that I win, you and win. you win. And we both benefit out of the results right. of it. Right. Uh, I'd be interested in some examples of where you've helped companies become more effective and innovative through working with you. One that's coming up for me is Alza Corporation, which is actually here in the Bay Area. And I was hired to do play yoga, which is a combination of enjoying <laughs> and also doing yoga. I find even in the yoga world and health world, people take themselves too seriously and there's a perfection about it and I have to do the poses right. And so I designed play yoga to bring that component of breathing and stretching and flexibility, not only for their bodies, but for their minds and their hearts 
And so we do a lot of different exercises. I started there one hour each week with about eight people in my class. And initially I was shocked at how little my clients knew how to breathe. I think that was my first initial, wow. I take that for granted, I suppose, but just sitting and breathing and not fidgeting and not thinking about what they have to do next was probably the most challenging part in the, the first four weeks. And then after that, the class began to grow and I have about 30 people now that laugh and they breathe very deep and they're there for the whole hour and they don't fidget when we're resting at the end and they smile and they feel better going back to work. I may not have statistics and how that happened, but to watch it evolve over a three month span and to watch not only the class grow, but their hearts grow was one of the greatest gifts as a facilitator. And I really believe that's why I'm here to watch. And they did it, they chose to do it. It wasn't me, I was bringing that to them. But they choose every week to come and participate and play. And whether they know they're doing it or not, <laughs> they know it's changing and they go back to work in a different mindset. When you're working with a company, do you find that you are typically bringing a group of people who voluntarily join, or is it something where the, the boss says, I would like to do this with our group and you will all be there? The also one was voluntarily, which is even beautiful to watch it grow. I'm in negotiation with Merrill Lynch for incorporating this into their training program and that will not be voluntarily, that will be I have to go. And I'm interested to see the difference. I've had many stick in the muds in my workshops, I actually have to say, and beautifully so, because it challenges me to remain true to myself and to not allow what I'm there to provide as a service to be altered or accommodated in any way. And I think everyone benefits from that as opposed to getting scared and, and, and devaluing why I'm there because some person's scared of it. Truth is, it's fear. I think when something is outside our comfy zone, we tend to deflect it and judge it. And I understand that. I definitely understand that. Well, that there is a wonderful disabling force when you can be free to make a fool of yourself. Totally. I'd read about the nature of being a comedian and one of the things mm -hmm. Kevin Klein said that I have to be able to make a complete fool of myself yes. even to do the heavy dramatic roles yes. and not worry about that. Mm -hmm. And to some extent that's a bit of about what it means to be a courageous leader anyway. Absolutely. Is that I will go after what we all have decided we believe in right. and if I stumble that's life. Right. One thing that is probably a counter that I'm sure you get, and I, I've touched on it a little bit in some of the mm -hmm. other questions, is that you know, some of the ways you engage with people yes. are creative and fun, but they may continue the concept of having kind of a schism between we're working, and that's serious stuff, <laughs> and we are now going to this other thing which right. we know is not. Right. And I'm sure you've noticed spirits seem to lift up or people mm -hmm. open up because it's the equivalent of going to recess. Right. And at the same time, for this to truly transform what's going on, they have to bring it back. Do you feel that you are encouraging that schism in any way or are you able to kind of break through it? I believe that in order to create a new way of being and thinking in the world, you have to start from ground one. So going to recess and bringing that back in is a beautiful way to start. But my ultimate vision is to see how people can bring that, integrate that, not only 
recreating a whole new structure of a work environment and what that looks like and nine to five or nine to one or creating whatever time limit, whoever made that up, you know, and, and starting to recreate that. That's my ultimate vision. But I'm a big fan right now of getting people to plant that seed because that seed has been not planted in a long, long time. And to most people, it's overwhelming that they even had fun. They're leaving and going, oh my gosh, like, I haven't laughed since I was 10. That in and of itself is huge for most people. And to nurture that and then see how that goes into their family life when they go home. And I took this workshop today and I felt so great and how much more they want more of it and more of it and more of it. And I think watching that process will be beautiful for me. So it's the equivalent of having to start somewhere. And yeah. the main work environment may be tougher yeah. is kind of what I'm hearing from you. I feel work and education are very old beliefs that are created from very old structures that mm -hmm. are not serving anybody anymore. And that's really my strong belief about it. Do I want to go in there and go, it's not working, and then expect everyone to go, you're so right, and everything's going to change magically? No, I don't think that's possible. It would be beautiful. I do think it's possible to begin to plant seeds of what might be working and freeing people to experience looking outside of what they've been told. And it's a very beautiful process to evolve. And I'm willing to stick it out for as long as it takes or as short as it takes, but it's possible. Well, it's definitely not a one-shot engagement no, it's when, not. When, you, when you do this, <laughs> which is something, too, that people, I think, tend to forget when they're going through a transformation. That yes. It needs continuous support. And nurturing. And nurturing on both sides. Yep. I mean, uh, otherwise, seeds would grow into tall trees yep. in an afternoon. Yep. One of the things that you said on your website is you call yourself a play expert. Yes. And... <laughs> I'm interested, and I'm sure the listeners are, about how do you become a play expert? How does that come to be? What's, what's your background that has enabled you to be a play expert? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I got my master's in theater and dance from NYU. That's my educational aspect. I think on a, a personal level with play, there are many leaders out there, there are many facilitators out there, and without judgment, are teaching something that they're not living. And I admire the fact that they're bringing this element out there Yet what I've learned is that I want to be living it. And I feel like I can call myself a play expert because every day I do choose to follow my heart and live in bliss and look at life from a different perspective. And if something's not going right or my book wasn't published by this publisher, maybe there's other ways of publishing it and not getting stuck in this paradigm of thinking, I'm wrong, I'm not succeeding, I have to do more. And it is a conscious choice every moment. So that's a play expert to me. I think everybody can be, but I feel very proud that I'm choosing to live that. So when I speak in front of people, it's authentic and it's me. And that sets people free to actually be more authentic as well. I had a related question to that, which is if you're an expert, normally those of us that are experts in disciplines have a continuing education program. <laughs> what do you do to go ahead and make sure that you are always on the edge of what plays about? I think the most important thing is to be very aware and very conscious of my choices in life and how I interact with people and researching what's going on in the world and being in the world as opposed to being out of it and not involved. I want to participate and speaking my truth and smiling at people. Very simple, but smiling when I walk by someone and actually saying hello and meaning it. I mean, these are very simple steps, but it is education every day. 
watching the world go and run and be busy, busy, busy and not participate in that. It's definitely an education and some days I'm better at than others. You've emphasized something that I guess in its driest sense could be that one's attitude toward the world is a choice. I had a friend in college, as a matter of fact, who said that happiness for him was not an end, it was a means. Right. And that resonated after all these years as mm -hmm. something that's a pretty meaningful thought. And if you take a look at that, even in your work environment and everything else, if you take the idea of this is going to be something where we're going to play at it, Okay. And we're going to play in all its aspects, which means to experiment, to right. encourage, to look at differently, look at differently, mm -hmm. to, as was said in an earlier podcast, yes and mm -hmm. others, as yeah. opposed to yes but others, yep. that you will get a better overall result right. as part of that. How could someone reach you if they wanted to learn more about you and your company? Go to my website, which is www.playward.com, and my office phone is and that's Play Ward, not Ward. World. Yep. W-A-R-D. Uh, <laughs> Last name. Yeah. And my main office number is 760-521-8842. Okay, and that is out here in the Northern California area mm -hmm. for those that are listening to this from all over the world. But Jenny, I'm sure, can be reached by contacting her at her website mm -hmm. uh, for those that only hear this in the audio version. Well, Jenny, thanks very much for joining Thank us this you. week on Stranova. It's been great. Thank you very much. Do you remember back when you were a little child and you used to play about being at work? We do joke about it quite a bit, about how maybe we once wanted to be a fireman or be a doctor. That was all we could think of and about how much fun it was all going to be. And yet for many of us, it seems so much different than we imagined it now that we're in the middle of it. And yet, and here's the genius in what our guest has uncovered for us in that flash of insight that led her to create PlayWord. If we can bring play back into what we somehow separated out as work, there will be a fundamental transformation of our creative energies, both as individuals and teams, and a turbo boost to both the atmosphere and performance of the companies we work for. And beyond that lesson, I'd also like to leave you with yet one other critical one before we leave this podcast today. And that is that the sources for business innovation, like the one that inspired former NYU School of Dance graduate Jenny Ward to create her company, are indeed, just like the purloined letter that I mentioned in our introduction, often right before our eyes. So look around, listen, and pay attention. You just might find that what you're playing with right now will become the next million-dollar business idea. That's my reflection for this week, and thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about any of the topics in this week's show, please visit our website at www.stranova.com. And be sure to look at the current programs and resources pages for some interesting insights on our speakers and recommended links to related reference materials. If you have any comments on our show or suggestions for people to invite for future shows, please do contact us at ideas at stranova.com or leave us a short voice message on our Stranova comment line at area code 408 849-4394 or via Skype by a click from our homepage. This recording is copyright 2006 by Brad Redderson. And this is Brad Redderson thanking you for listening and looking forward to talking with you next time on Stranova. <laughs>